that don't know, my name is John Micah, and I am one of the ministers here on staff with the Hendersonville Church Body. And today I am joined by several other co-workers. I've got Les Chapman in here with me. I have Stan Wilson in here with me, and I have Tony Brimmingham in here with me. So uh, we are combining our efforts today to introduce our summer theme. And so um, what I'll be doing is facilitating some of this conversation as we um, begin to navigate what the summer, what we hope the summer will look like. And each one of my friends here from Les to Stan to Tony will each have something different, another piece of the component that they are going to introduce regarding the summer. So we, we are glad that you're here. Uh, in fact, if you are familiar with the Hendersonville Church and if you are familiar with the way things have flowed in the past, you know um, that we attempt to provide a unique summer theme or experience each year during the months of June through August. And it's simply something uh, to help guide our thoughts and our attention. And um, what we typically do is it doesn't rest on one person or, or their voice to teach throughout the entire summer. And in fact, in years past, um, we have invited a variety of guest speakers to help us communicate those particular themes. And we always have a wonderful time bringing in guest speakers. They're friends of ours, they're professors, they're loved ones, they're people that are mentors, um, and they're, they're, they're people that we just enjoy sharing with others. And given our circumstances, uh, there, are, there are still ways in which we will have guests and other voices included in these conversations. And we also wanted to create a theme that quite possibly we have no idea um, when or how particularly things are going to look returning back to the building. And so if even if at some point in the summer we have the opportunity to physically be back together, we can actually continue this conversation and this theme uh, regardless whether we are online or together. So we wanted to create something that was flexible um, in, in either um, situation. So let me just kind of begin to say this. Um, over six months ago, I feel like, guys, maybe you can correct me on that, but it seems like over six months ago, maybe even last year at the end of the summer, we decided to work on a theme and tease out this theme called simply Love Your Neighbor. And it has transformed into something a little bit even more than that, into a theme that we're actually calling My Town. And as the past few weeks have evolved, we began wondering what it would look like to really and truly invest in the city of Hendersonville in fresh and imaginative ways. So when we use the theme, our town, um, what, what, in what ways would it look like and what new creative ways could we come up with and invest in, in loving our neighbor well, right here in this city, right here in our backyards. And so when you hear the term my town, um, we are hoping that these conversations will help facilitate your thoughts and your heart and maybe even help focus towards just focusing even more intently on what it will look like to love others well right here where we live. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense to everybody. I know that the guys in, that are here with me, we've been talking about this for quite some time. So we are excited to maybe see this manifest and, and we're still working on a lot of creativity that will be behind it. Um, however, we are wired and we are designed to love others. 
and that is our calling. So that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about. So we're looking, we're looking for ways that this is going to unfold. Um, and, and I will say this, this is how I'll kind of begin to transition a little bit. Um, those thoughts last year that we had six months ago, whatever it may be, as we begin talking about loving our neighbor well, um, really begin to shift gears a little bit, right? Uh, and those thoughts begin to unfold in ways that nobody in these rectangles stand right now, uh, Stan, myself, Tony, Leslie, anybody else listening, those thoughts begin to unfold in ways that we could not have possibly imagined before as the year 2020 continued to unfold. Um, in fact, I assume that 2020 looks nothing like any of you or any of us thought it would, right? In fact, um, each of us find ourselves in a space, in this new space that was completely unexpected. And it's left most of us feeling confused and perplexed. Uh, there's been, there are a lot of different emotions that have come with um, the, the pandemic itself and this deadly virus. And right now we're looking quite seriously at um, over 105,000 people that have lost their lives in the United States alone as a result of this pandemic. Many of those have been in, in nursing homes, which is another element of this that is incredibly disturbing and heartbreaking. And following weeks of safer at home orders and quarantine, Many people are struggling. Many have lost jobs. Uh, we begin to think about healthcare workers that have continued to pour themselves out. Um, and these are, just, these are just a few of the ways in which the pandemic has affected humanity. We could pause right now and begin to extract every piece and we would never come up with every way and piece that this pandemic has created chaos. And that's just the pandemic. Other things have continued to manifest. And our hearts break. And as stories of the last few weeks have continued to unfold, uh, we continue to see a world in need of racial healing. And we must not remain silent in the wake of the injustices that continue to occur. And so seriously, one of the things that we simply cannot do as Jesus followers is we, we simply can't look the other way. And that's one of the things that he has ingrained in us as followers of him. And so really, what does it mean in our congregations and in our church bodies to really reflect on who we are as the church? And what does it mean for us to remember who we have been called to be, right? Um, we are called to be, and, and our doing comes out of that. Uh, so our desire right now is to spend time focusing on what it really means to love others well. And I really, this is just an introduction. This, we're barely scratching the surface um, of this conversation, but we are called to love God, right? Not the idols that every one of us is so easily attracted to. We're called to love our neighbors instead of treating human beings as mere objects. And we're called to love the Lord our God and to love every person who is created in his image. These are, these are lofty callings, but that is who we are. And those are the kind of things that we are going to talk about in this theme of my town and love what it means to really love our neighbor. 
one of my friends and local pastors here in Middle Tennessee is a guy named Derek Jackson. And one of the things that he has been fond of saying to us uh, is, is simply this, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do something. And he continues to talk about space and he says, do the work where you are. And so again, I come back to us as followers of Jesus. and I think about all the many things that are going on in the world. And I think about all the many things that are going on right here in our backyard in the city of Henderson, in the city of Hendersonville. So what really matters is who we are and who we have been called to be right here in the city of Hendersonville, loving our neighbors. And so Leslie, Leslie's going to spend just a few minutes um, talking about what we might say the basics, but these basics are challenging. This need to love. In other words, Leslie, why is this conversation important? Thanks, John. Uh, appreciate it. It's good to be here with uh, John Micah and Stan and Tony. Uh, what a wonderful privilege to work with these guys. And each of us bring different uh, strengths to the table. And, and I appreciate uh, exploring this whole question of, you know, where do we go in, in the midst of the perfect storm? As John Micah mentioned, when you take the virus, the economic uh, challenges that it created, the healthcare problems we're facing, and then take the anxiety that people have had since they've been cooped up. And then, John Mike, as you mentioned, throw into that uh, some of the injustices that occur across America on a regular basis, boy, it creates the perfect storm. And so where do you go in the midst of a perfect storm to find stability? Uh, I think back to a couple of uh, my favorite uh, either writers or individuals. Uh, Vince Lombardi was the coach of the Green Bay Packers. And uh, I still remember the day he died in 1970, uh, died of cancer. And Lombardi had led the Green Bay Packers to uh, win the first two Super Bowls uh, back when it was still the NFL playing the AFL uh, before they combined the two leagues. But Vince Lombardi had gone to the Green Bay Packers and uh, the Packers had gotten to the playoffs, but they never could win the championship. Well, they were just struggling to get there. And so it was uh, training camp uh, 1960, uh, 62, I believe. I may be off a year or two there, but but uh, after they had failed to win the championship the previous year, Lombardi walks into a room with all these professional football players and decides, you know what, it's time to go back to basics. And so he walks into the room, into the locker room, holds out a football and says, gentlemen, this is a football. And, you know, when you're trying to uh, uh, remind people of the basics, uh, that's where you begin. Uh, one of my favorite authors who's now passed away, but is a guy by the name of Stephen Covey. And uh, he wrote several books on uh, self-help, uh, but probably the most famous was the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he goes and basically says, here's seven things that people who accomplish a lot do. Well, number three on the list is one of my favorite. Uh, number three on the list is simply this, keep first things first. And, and I think that's what we've got to do in the midst of uh, the chaos that we see going on. You know, it's going on in our nation at large. Uh, it's going on in our state. We see it in our cities. 
And then we experience in our, it, in our church, in our personal families. Uh, I had the privilege this last weekend, June and I did, to go see our grandkids for the first time in, uh, in about six months. Uh, and so we went to celebrate our youngest grandson's birthday, and I had not seen him since Christmas time. And so that, that was tough. And we enjoyed going back and reconnecting with our family uh, because of what this pandemic had done. So how do we get back to the basics in, in a time like this? You know, in, in the Gospels, uh, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. And the religious leaders are testing him. And so they're asking him all kinds of questions. The Sadducees ask him a question about uh, the resurrection, uh, and it had to do with a woman who was married to, to seven brothers. Uh, and then he was asked about paying taxes to Caesar, which was a setup uh, to try to discredit him. And he turned it around on the religious leaders uh, and, and just basically quieted them down. And, and then he was approached by a religious lawyer. And this religious lawyer wanted to suck him into another argument that was very common back then. You know, the Jews, if you go back to the uh, books of uh, Moses, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you've got law after law after law. And uh, the Jews had actually gone and counted them and come up with a number, 613. And so you've got this big question that was going on in the first century. Uh, which of the commandments is the most important? Which is the basic? And I don't know about you guys, but I have thought how I would have answered that question. Uh, I think I would have immediately gone to the Ten Commandments. Because here's the Ten Commandments God gave to Moses. In fact, wrote them on the stones himself, the original stones that Moses broke. And, uh, and God just lays them out. And so I would have gone to number one. I mean, surely the most important uh, commandment is the first commandment that God gave to Moses. And, and of course, that's, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, as important as that commandment is, that's not where Jesus went. Uh, there's an old saying I learned years ago uh, that uh, I don't know if you guys have practiced it uh, uh, in your families, but uh, there's an old saying that says, rules without relationship always leads to rebellion. Mm. Uh, I, you know, I, I think back to uh, our Declaration of Independence. Why, why is it that we wanted to break away from Great Britain? And the answer was, we didn't feel like we had a relationship with England. Uh, there was, our voice was not being heard. And so no representation, you know, no taxation. And so uh, rules without relationship always leads to rebellion. I think Jesus understood that well. And so instead of getting sucked up into, uh, you know, which of the rules you need to follow, Jesus went back to the subject of relationship. And so in response to the question that was asked, uh, Jesus said, the first commandment is this one. It's not Exodus 20, the first place you read the Ten Commandments. It's not Deuteronomy 5, the second place you read the Ten Commandments. Instead, he goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And of course, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you have Moses giving the Shema, uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is the heart of who they were. 
Uh, but then he says, love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Relationship. That's where it begins. And then Jesus, even though he was not asked this question, he then says, let me tell you the second one. And of course, that's the one we're going to be focusing on this summer. And that is, love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. And so uh, I, I think as we pause looking into the summer, thinking how do we uh, bring some type of sense out of the chaos, we need to go back to the basics and remind people what kind of relationship God's wanting to have with us and then what kind of relationship we have with others. And I do think those, uh, John Micah, are connected. So I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, thanks, Leslie. And I think that what we'll do from here on out is uh, Stan, Stan, in fact, why don't we just go on to you, Stan, um, share a little bit in regard with uh, how, well, the call to love God. Talk about how the call to love God is connected to our ability and our call to love our neighbor. Yeah, John, uh, at the risk of being a little repetitive, uh, on, I want to tack on to what Les just went through. If we go back to Matthew chapter 22, and we think about the Pharisees' question uh, to Jesus, where they said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus does reference Deuteronomy 6.5, as Les said, saying, Love your Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Um, and he says that's the greatest commandment. And then he says the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, which comes from Leviticus 19, 18. So I think sometimes we can, we can say, well, well, wait a second. How can that be the greatest commandment like Les was saying? How come it doesn't verbatim say any of the Ten Commandments? But Jesus says that all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And we know that law is shorthand for what, Hebrew scripture would call the Decalogue, which we call the Ten Commandments, right? And the Book of the Covenant, which if you're familiar with that, that's how you get to those 613 laws uh, and all of the different things that are basically relational, like Les is talking about, your, how you deal with other people. It might be better translated to say the instructions on how to be in covenant with Yahweh. And then when we listen to what Jesus said, it starts to make a little bit more sense, I think. So I think we have to go back and look at what we call the Ten Commandments and notice that the first statement of the section of Exodus 20 does not actually start with thou shalt shall not. It actually starts with I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's verse 2 of Exodus 20. So in other words, God is saying, I rescued you, I protected you, I provided for you, and I taught the Israelites prior to asking them any covenantal commitment leading to any behavioral change, right? He accepts them as who they are um, and does all of those things for them, not conditional on whether or not they abide by rules or, or laws at that, at that point. So we find kind of a preamble, if you will, to Exodus 20, which might sound something like this. I am Yahweh, your God. And I have provided all of this for you because I love you. You are my treasured possession. Now, if we take that framework and think, well, okay, that's, that's how God is looking at, at his people. Then loving God in return consists of having no other gods before him, 
making no graven images because guess what? We are the graven image of Yahweh. So why would we make something else to represent him? Not taking his name in vain, <clears throat> which a lot of scholarship has been done on this. And it really would probably be better to say taking, bearing, lifting, carrying, putting on the name of Yahweh in vain or rendering it to not in other words, saying you're Yahweh's and then not acting like it, remembering the Sabbath and honoring your father and mother. So you've just covered the first five of the Ten Commandments in how you love God. In other words, don't put on the name of Yahweh and be like the other nations or the world around you. So the way I, the way I kind of look at it is Jesus is saying, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and all that you do and say. For Yahweh, God alone is worthy of worship. And we worship God by how we live and how we represent Him. The rest of the commandments in the book of the covenant deal with human relationships like Les was talking about. All other humans are image bearers of Yahweh. We know that, no matter how dimly that image might appear to some of us. But here's what's critical, I think. God loves each of them enough to die on the cross in order to provide them a way to be in the eternal family and to have membership in that family. And then all of a sudden, your, your mind just kind of gets blown, right? If, if that's the case, then they'll only come to know God by how we represent him to them. And Paul says it, I can't, I can't think of a better way to say it, to, to, to kind of hitch the Old Testament to the New Testament. Paul, over in 2 Corinthians 5, starting in 18, says, and all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. And he has given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his plea through us. So although Exodus 19 tells us that the entire earth is God's, his human children are a kingdom of priests, holy and set apart. So when we think about that and we think about why would I love my neighbor? Well, we who bear the names of Yahweh and of Christ are priests in the fact that we represent God before the watching world. And the people we interact with need to see God in all that we do and say. Otherwise, we're not very good representatives. We would be vainly representing him, right? And so when you ask, or if we ask, if someone out there in Hendersonville asks, well, okay, what, what's this loving your neighbor? Is that just kind of like social justice? Is it just something nice to do? Is it what moral people do? Well, I, I, would, I would back up and take just a second and challenge and say, no, it's much bigger than that because God loves all humans equally. He tells us that in John 3, 16 and 17. But guess what? We love God as much as we love the person which we love the least. Mm. So we cannot keep the first commandment that Jesus says is the most important without the second. Mm. If we do not love our neighbor, we do not love God. So what does God require of us? That's what the next question always is, right? What are all these laws and all this stuff? And hey, wait a minute, don't we have don't we have grace and we don't have to worry about any of that stuff? And but if we act this way with these first with the greatest commandment and the second one like to it, 
we will keep it all. We'll keep it all as scripture tells us in our heart and by how we act and by how we act as others and how we represent God to others. So love God and represent him well to all your neighbors, even those that are your enemy. Mm. Stan, thank you. I, 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 I knew that as we began talking about these things, that it was the, the stirring and the burning would really begin probably inside each and every one of us as, as different things are kind of coming to our minds. And so I appreciate how you and Leslie both have, have pulled these together. And I really do hope that we are able to extract this as the summer rolls out. And I, I would love, well, here's the thing, right? We keep, I keep saying summer theme as if, as if loving your neighbor is only important just for June, July, and August. We're going to focus on it this summer, but then when we're done with that, we'll move on to the next theme. So this is, this is something so much bigger, and it's at the core of who we are, even as we've been talking with our own leadership in the last few weeks. And, and one of the prayers that we prayed, even in this two-week of prayer uh, that we engaged in together, was, Father, gently show us the ways that we have become disconnected from your mission and from your calling. And so to seriously reflect on those last few things that you said um, in regards to, man, how can, we, how can we really love God if we don't love our neighbors? Okay? And so this is, this is far bigger than any summer theme. It just happens to be that I find it also interesting that I didn't complete my sentence there. I apologize. Uh, I also find it interesting that we've talked about this theme for maybe three years now. And it's, and, and, and something would shift gears and we'd go, okay, let's do this. And so I don't think it's any coincidence that we are landing on this right now as, as we are living in the time and the space that we are in. Um, and this is something that we should always be about. So it's not just a summer theme. It is so much bigger than that. But again, to come back with the emphasis of my town and really begin focusing on what does it mean to, to live out what Stan and Leslie just said right here, right now. And so there's words that come to mind. And I think about there's, there's two words that come to mind continually when, I, when we have these conversations. One of them is humility. And one of them is proximity. And I think about when I think about neighbors and I think about the other and our, our need to be inclusive versus exclusive with, with everyone and what it means for us to proximity to be close. We have to be close to others in order to love them, right? And so the proximity is a big conversation within this city right here and the surrounding our city right here proximity and then having the humility to listen and to be open and to understand why we need to love others. My goodness, this is, that's the part of the heavy theology you just introduced just then. Um, and so I, I'm drawn to just a couple of lines out of Philippians chapter two, as you guys know that this is a text that we have continued to be drawn to over and over again. But even Paul, as he says to the church there, I love in verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Consider or regard others as better than yourselves. And he goes on to say, let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And he says, have the same mind, right? Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus. This is huge. Um, so, Tony, um, I know that we are going to have, uh, we are looking at the summer. And, and the reason we do call it a summer theme is because our typically our schedules are a little bit different. Kids are out of school, although they've been indefinitely out of school now for quite a while. We could have started summer back in fall, by the way, at this point. Um, but there is a practical, there are practical um, steps to be taken. And as we think about a church body, and as we think about our role as a church, taking our role seriously as a church here in Hendersonville, um, there have to be ways 
that we open our eyes and our ears to be practically involved in loving others well. And so tell me, what does it look like for us to be attentive and aware right here, right now, very seriously as the church body in Hendersonville? So thanks guys for uh, including me in on this. This is, this has been pretty cool. I love this. This is uh, wonderful. And John Micah, you said, you said two things that I think are perfect, opportunity, opportunity. This is the opportune time. There is no better time than right now to do what we are doing right now. And then the second thing you said is, is the like mind of Christ. This is who Christ is. This is exactly who we are called to be, is, is loving our neighbor. And I think uh, this is a perfect time and, and a, a perfect thing to be doing uh, at this space and this time in our lives. And I can't think when I, when I think about the opportunity and being like Jesus, my, my mind goes back to, to who is it that, that Jesus ministered to? Who was Jesus's neighbors? You know, and if we think about some of the examples that were given in, in, in the Gospels of who Jesus ministered to, the first thing that, that comes to my mind is, is Jesus ministered to children. That's the, one of the first things that come to my mind. And, and the parents, I remember the story of the parents trying to bring the children to Jesus and and the disciples actually getting annoyed with Jesus because the children are trying to get close to Jesus. And, and Jesus kind of chastises the disciples and says, hey, bring them to me. Bring them close to me. And he'll go on to say you know, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And Jesus ministered to children. You know, that, I think when we think of neighbors, we've got to think of that. Uh, one of the first things that come to my mind with Jesus is Jesus fed the hungry. Uh, Jesus fed those who needed food. Uh, we see stories about Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus feeding the 4,000. He had compassion on those who, who needed fed. Uh, Jesus ministered to the sinful. Uh, you know, we read stories about where Jesus went to uh, the Pharisees' house and, and dining with the Pharisees, and in itself that would have been uh, probably scandalous, but then the, the woman uh, who is known to all in the room as being a very sinful woman comes in and, and brings the jar of perfume and starts washing Jesus' feet. And all of the, the Pharisees, you know, look at Jesus and how is he going to react? What is he going to do to this woman? And Jesus just looks at the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. You know, that is who we are to be as neighbors. That is who we are to minister to, is to the to the sinful. Uh, and, and Jesus ministered to the elite. You know, we have stories of, uh, of Jesus uh, meeting with the tax collectors, the politicians of the day, those who, who were of authority in the day. A, a man named Levi, who he went to his house to eat with other tax collectors, other elites. And um, it, it caused quite a stir. It, it was quite revolutionary. Uh, and, and, and the people looking at Jesus and, and, and trying to cause a stir responds to them and says, it's, you know, it's not the healthy that needs the doctor, but it is the sick who needs the doctor. I have not called, uh, I have not come to call respectable people, uh, but outcasts. And we can find that in Mark chapter two. I think that's our neighbor. Uh, you know, Jesus ministered to the marginalized. And we see very, lots of stories. Uh, and the scriptures about Jesus uh, ministering to the marginalized. And I love the one in John chapter 9 uh, where Jesus and the disciples are walking along and Jesus encounters the blind beggar. And uh, Jesus could have looked the other way. Jesus could have kept looking straight. 
he could have kept on going and nothing would have ever have been said. No one would have ever have noticed. No one would have ever said a word, but Jesus didn't do that. He stops and he looks at this marginalized person, this blind beggar, this person who might've even have been homeless. And he approaches this man and he looks down at the ground. He spits on the ground. He makes mud with his fingers. He puts it on his eyes and he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash his eyes and he'll see again. Jesus loved the marginalized. That's his neighbor. And I love the story that is found in, in Luke where Jesus is walking along uh, the road. He, he encounters the man with leprosy, a man that I don't know that I could have ministered to, a man that probably no one else in this time wanted to be around. I mean, who would dare minister to a man with leprosy, this type of person? Jesus did. And not only did he minister to him, but Jesus reached out and he touched the man with leprosy. That is who we are to be. That is who we are called to be. That's who our neighbor is. You know, Jesus ministered to those who were troubled. We see stories about the man who had the spirit in him, who people tried to chain up. They tried to bind him. They tried to keep him away from all the other people. But Jesus goes and he speaks to this man. You know, and he tries to cast out the demon, and he does cast out the demon out of this boy. And then he tells the boy to, to go back home and to tell your family how much the Lord has done for you and how kind he has been to you. That is who we are to be. You know, and I'm reminded, too, of Jesus ministering to those who had a different culture than he did. I'm, I'm reminded of the story when Jesus went to the well uh, and, and drank from the well where a Samaritan woman, a, a person who he should not have been talking to, a person who he would have looked down upon, a person who he would have considered, the Jews would have considered less than them. But Jesus goes to this woman, and not only did he speak to her, but he drank from her cup. And then after he did all of that, he offered himself as living water to this woman. That is who Jesus ministered to someone that didn't look like him, someone who was a different culture from him. And you know, John Michael, what I'm thinking about here, when I think about all these people uh, that, that Jesus ministered to, you know, we're coming out of a season right now where this church, we have ministered to so many people right now. We've ministered to so many people. We have ministered to children. You know, we have ministered to nurses uh, with, with masks uh, down at the local uh, oncology unit. You know, we have ministered to the at-risk population by being the hands and feet of Jesus. But church, what I want us to do this summer, I want us to do this. I want us to be deliberate about who our neighbor is. I want us to be intentional about loving our neighbor. And here is my prayer. I pray that this summer that we will see the opportunities around us to see who our neighbor is, to see the children, to see the hungry. I pray that we will see the marginalized around us. I pray that we will see those who have a different culture around us and that we will love them because they are our neighbor. That's who our neighbor is. And you know what? I would love just to pray over us right now. You know, as we end this session, I would love to just pray about all of this right now. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunities in life. Thank you for the opportunities 
to love our neighbors, to love our country, to love our church, to love your church, love all the people that, that make up our community, to make up Hendersonville. And I pray that we can look out, that we can see our neighbor, that we will know who our neighbor is, that we will have the fortitude to do something about it. And Lord, I pray, I pray right now, certainly for this country, that we can be light, that we can lead, that we can be who you want us to be, the kind, the compassionate, the outreaching. I pray that, that we will be all of that and that we'll do it to the glory of your name. Bless us today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Tony. As we look forward to sharing different things with you and certainly uh, calling us to be uh, who we are called to be. And uh, may we continue to live into that, especially as we look right here in our town and, and as in our city uh, with those right around us. We love you, Hendersonville. We look forward to dialoguing with you again soon. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Love you guys. Bye. Love you. Bye, everyone. Bye.